Jesus Christ. We're going to be turning in our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter number one. I want to remind you, if you do have a cell phone on you in church today, it'd probably be a good time at this point to take it out and make sure that it's on silent so you don't owe the congregation a pizza. The, the congregation is large, and uh, uh, it's a lot of pizzas that you'll be purchasing. And if your phone goes off twice, it's breadsticks as well. So uh, Luke chapter number one is where we will be. You know, there are four Gospels that were written from men who were the eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. The Gospels, of course, when the New Testament began, uh, were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you look at each of these men, they described the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in different ways. Uh, two of the books that are in the Gospels have absolutely nothing to say about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in Matthew, it talks about the birth of Christ in some detail. The greatest book, or the book that you're going to find the most details about the birth of Christ and those surrounding events and circumstances is the book of Luke. But the books of Mark and John begin with the ministry, not of Jesus Christ, but the ministry of John the Baptist. And that is how the book of Luke opens up as well. The book of Luke does not open up by saying that an angel was sent to Mary, but rather it says that the angel was sent to a different couple, and it was the parents, of course, of John the Baptist. Man, or excuse me, Luke chapter number one, and we'll, read, we'll begin our reading in verse number five. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. We're going to be speaking this morning about the circumstances surrounding not just the birth of John the Baptist, but the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we're humbled to be here in your presence today. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with us as we preach your word. Help me not to say anything I shouldn't. Lord, I do pray that you'd draw men and women to yourself. I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, that doesn't know you by way of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that today would be the day that they are born again, that they're received into your family. Lord, I pray that you'd use the preaching to do this. I pray, Lord, that you'd help this congregation, and I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, these situations took place, and the Bible is here describing the parents of John the Baptist. The story of Jesus could not be told without telling another story of a special boy whose birth was announced by the same angel, Gabriel. But this same angel, Gabriel, was pretty, pretty busy during this time in human history. The first family that God ended up sending this angel to was the family of Zacharias, as we've read about this morning. The Bible talks about Zacharias because he was a priest. 
He was an older priest. The Bible speaks, now Mary and Joseph we'll get into in just a moment, but Mary and Joseph were different from Zacharias and Elizabeth in so much as they were young people and they were just getting started and it was before they came together. This is like an engaged couple who was very young and getting ready to get married and then an older couple, probably the, the age of Wayne and Susie, who are not here today, and I wouldn't say that if they were here today. Out of respect, these, are, these were two that were well stricken in years, the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. Now, I was at the nursing home service on Thursday. And listen, I don't need to pull punches with these people. I'm not going to tell them that they're young people. Okay? I said, all of you are well stricken in years. And for some of you, you don't need to deny it anymore. You're well stricken in years. You're an aged, you're a senior saint. You know, our older ladies have a class and they call themselves the LOLs. It's not the laugh out louds, okay? It's the little old ladies. And they named themselves that. So don't look at me and say, you're so rude, pastor. You know, I'm just being honest. They were, they were well stricken in years. And so the Bible has something to say about this particular family. Not many people, you know, know if, if I ask them, hey, have you ever heard the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth? They'll be like, oh yeah, I've heard that story before because this story is very much overlooked in the scripture. The Bible says that Zacharias was a priest and he was a religious man who performed sacred duties in the Jewish temple by course each year. That means there was a section of time when it fell to him, it was his responsibility to burn this incense in the temple. His wife Elizabeth was also of the daughters of Aaron, according to verse number 5. That means she would be qualified to marry a priest. But the Bible says that the, both of these people were righteous before God. And this is what I would consider to be a novel thing. Have you ever met a marriage and inside that marriage the wife got saved before the husband? I've met that. I've, I've, I've seen that take place many times. I've also seen on the flip side where it was the husband who was saved prior to the wife. But in this particular situation you have a married couple who according to the scripture was obeying God in an acceptable way and that in all the ordinances and commandments according to verse number 6 they walked before the Lord blameless. You say what does this mean? This means they didn't work on the Sabbath day. They took the Sabbath day serious. They took their godly responsibilities seriously. They wanted to have their home in a particular order where they gave God glory. This isn't a family that would just skip over family prayer, if you will. Their home was centered around the, the worship of God and their, their life and lifestyle was simple, uh, centered around the temple and the temple worship. And so this was a righteous family. But as you see in this story, righteous families have problems too. As a matter of fact, righteous families go through issues. And they went through issues themselves. The Bible says, here's this couple, they're walking before the Lord blameless. And it says, and they had no child in verse 7. Because that Elizabeth was barren. And they were both now well stricken in years. And so Elizabeth is past the time where she would be having a child. And certainly Zacharias is past the time when he would father a child. And this was the problem that this righteous family had. Even though they were living for God, this family had unrealized dreams and expectations. They had hopes when they got married that they would have children, and now they haven't had any children, and they're past the time in their life when they should be able to have a child. So I'd like to say this, just because you're living for God doesn't mean that your life will be free of problems. 
And it also doesn't mean that God will answer your prayer on your timetable, but God is still God. And so Zacharias has now come to the temple to perform his duties. By the way, you think about that. God didn't give him a baby, he's still going to church. God didn't give him the desire of his heart, he's still giving God his very best. We don't worship God based on what he gives us. God is not a genie. He's not only God if he does for you what you ask him to do when you ask him to do it. Hey, come on now. Come on, Lord. This is what I want you to do for Well, you are not going to do that? Well, then I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to do my job for you. I'm not going to do what you've called me to do. That's not the story of Zacharias. He was faithful to God and to his house, even though God hadn't answered his prayers to this point the way he wanted. Now, incense was a fragrant smell that filled the temple with a sweet-smelling odor. Whenever they would burn a sacrifice and burn meat before the Lord, we all know what a barbecue smells like. And when I say that, a, that an offering or a sacrifice was similar to a barbecue... All of us on a cold fall day, when you barbecue meat outside, if you have neighbors that enjoy barbecuing, especially the way I enjoy barbecuing, my neighbors smell it, and occasionally they come to gather around my house because the sweet-smelling savor draws them to me. I'm the same way. When my wife begins to cook, my children begin to exit their rooms, and they float towards the food. And I'm not going to preach about the, the food. All I'm t- saying is, is that this incense was a sweet-smelling odor. It gave glory to God. It was something that the priests were to do. God wants his house to smell nice. By the way, God wants you to smell nice too. I thank the Lord for those of you who bathed this morning. The people of God, the Bible said, were described as a multitude. So there was a multitude of people who were gathered at the temple, and they were all outside doing something we call praying. Now, Jesus was upset during his time in life. Later on in Jesus' life, Jesus isn't, as far as incarnation goes, he had not yet been born. But when Christ was on the earth and he saw people, you know, buying and selling down at the church house and they turned the house of God into a den of thieves, Jesus flipped over some tables and drove them out of there. And he said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. We ought to be praying when we come to the Lord's house. Today, perhaps you've come with a heavy heart. Maybe you're praying for a child. Maybe you're praying for a parent. Maybe you have something going on in your life, and a doctor has given you a negative prognosis of some sort. I want to tell you something. You're in the right place to offer prayers to the Lord. You can pray anywhere, but it's a good thing to come to the Lord's house and to pray. So these folks were outside the Lord's house, and they were praying as Zacharias went inside. And he went to do his job, but something different took place when he was doing his job, to this incense. When he got toward the altar, the Bible said that it, an uninvited guest made an appearance. I, I don't know about you, but if I'm in a room alone and somebody appears to me, it would shake me up a little bit too. I, will, I was alone, now I'm not alone. Not only that, but it's an angel. Now, I don't know how bright the guy was. I don't know how strong the guy looked. All I could tell you was is that Zacharias saw him, and the Bible says his heart was filled with fear. And the Bible says in verse number 13, the beginning of the angelic announcement, if you will. The angel of the Lord appears out of nowhere, and the sight caused him to fear. And now the message of the angel begins with the common words when an angel has a a message to give from God. And that message was this, fear not. Don't be afraid. God has something to say to you. Now when God delivers a message like this, there is nothing to fear. But I want to say this, all the messages recorded in the Bible that come from God aren't like this. If you die without Christ, you're going to end up at a place called the Great White Throne Judgment. 
And God is not going to say, fear not, for anybody who is standing in front of that judgment throne. His message for everyone who will be at the great white throne judgment will be, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. Now listen, God delivers some good messages, and praise the Lord, if you're still living and breathing, you have the opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So I pray that if there's anybody here today and you're not saved, that today will be that day when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you'll never hear the Lord say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. But thank the Lord for the messages of fear not. When the angel came, he wasn't coming to give bad news. He was coming to give good news. He says in verse number 13, he said, thy prayer is heard. Now, when was Zacharias praying? And when was he praying about what the angel's talking to him about? All I could tell you is it was probably many years before. Many years before, him and his wife would go down to the temple, and they would pray to God, saying, Lord, we'd love to have a baby. But God had always said no to him. But the Bible says, now thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. He comes down and he tells him, hey, i got a message for you. I, I have a message from the Lord. You and your wife are going to have a baby. <laughs> it's a boy. If you're going to start a family, I always recommend have a boy first. Say, why? Because I was born to a family that had a girl first, and I didn't like it. Now, my sister's not here today. And I love my sister, but it'd been a whole lot better if the Lord gave us a boy to start. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding now. Come on. You guys can laugh with me. If you have an older sister, too, and, and you were used and abused and all the things they older sisters do, they might act like they're all nice. They're not nice at all. There's probably some guys in this church that could say, yeah, I got an older sister, and I got it, too. It's almost like having a second mom, isn't it? How many of you want two moms? Come on. Some of you guys are just dead as a doornail this morning. It's going to be okay. He said, you know, when you have this baby, you and your wife are going to have joy and gladness. Verse 14, and thou shalt have joy and gladness. You ever had a child and it just brought joy to your heart? I remember holding my firstborn son sitting in a rocking chair as a young man. It changed my life having a child. There was joy and gladness. When our second born was born, I started weeping at the hospital when my daughter was born, and the doctor was like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you going to pass out? I'm like, yeah, man. God answered my prayer. Gave me a daughter. I prayed for a daughter. He gave me a daughter. I, I was happy. My heart was filled with joy and gladness. Children can bring that. And that's what John the Baptist was going to bring. He said that you're going to have joy and gladness. And the Bible says, and many shall rejoice at his birth. It talks about who John the Baptist was going to be. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. God didn't say that John was one of the little guys. He said John's one of the big guys. He was great in the sight of the Lord. And he said that uh, he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He wasn't supposed to have certain beverages, alcoholic beverages. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He goes on to say about John the Baptist, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the, obedient to the, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared by the Lord. Let's review what he said about John the Baptist. He said, you guys are going to be happy when this kid's born. 
And he said, this, this young man's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's not going to drink any alcohol. He's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost, even while he's inside his mother's womb. His influence on people will cause them to repent toward God. His influence will be known by the same power that Elijah had when he was on the earth. His influence will cause fathers to start thinking about their families and not about themselves. And his living is going to so positively influence these fathers that families are going to turn to God. Oh, that God would get a hold of some men today. You know what preachers preach for? They preach to influence people. And maybe if some men would get off their rears this, in this generation and start raising their families and doing what they're supposed to and loving their families and considering their future without the Lord, maybe we would see some more good things happening in our society. But many men today are absent from the house of God. It's their wife who takes their children to church. That oughtn't to be. It ought to be you, sir, who leads your family to come to church. And thank God for women who will do it without the man. But it shouldn't be that way. Men ought to be taking the leadership in their homes. And the Bible said when John the Baptist would come, he was going to turn the hearts of their fathers back to their children. You know where the hearts of their fathers were? It was on themselves. What can I get from me? I want to tell you something. When God gets a hold of a man, he starts living for his children. He starts thinking about his children. The best place you could bring your children is to church. All that the Lord would get a hold of our hearts about such truths. And so the Lord, the Bible says about John the Baptist, he's going to influence men to start caring and thinking about their families and to repent toward God. And this is exactly what John the Baptist did. He made ready a people for the Lord. By the time Jesus came on the scene, there's already a bunch of people saved or baptized and looking forward to the Messiah. And that was who the preparations were made by John the Baptist. And Jesus took those. And that's how he formed his church. If you don't believe that, then read Acts chapter number 1, because all of them had John's baptism. There wasn't a one of them that said, nope, we're not getting that. And so, Zacharias hears this message from the angel, and he's got a message back to the angel. Now, there's a couple of messages we could preach out of this, and I'll give you a couple of points after we read it. But the Bible says, in verse 18, that Zacharias replies to this angel. He says, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. He said, both of us are old. <laughs> How am I going to know this? Now, Gabriel, I don't think that he was too, uh, he wasn't happy. <laughs> he, he wasn't happy about the response that Zacharias gave him, this, the, 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 the response of doubt. So he identifies himself to uh, Zacharias. He said, do you know my name? He said, you know who I am? He said, this is what I've got to say in verse number 19. And the angel answering and said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. He said, I stand in the very presence of God and he sent me to you to tell you these things. And in verse 20, sometimes angels don't even need to say this. Verse 20, if you have your Bible. And behold, thou shalt be dumb. Sometimes the angel don't even need to say it. People just act in that way. Now, you know, the word dumb here doesn't mean that you're acting foolish. It means that you can't speak. He turned him into a mute. He said, this is how you're going to know that all these things are going to be performed. You're not going to speak until all this stuff happens. 
And so when he comes out of the temple, first of all, the multitude's out there saying, hey, we got dinner waiting on us. What took you so long? It's almost like the preacher after he goes past 12. Don't you know we got a roast in the oven? They were all wondering, hey, what in the world's taking you? So it doesn't take you that long to burn incense last year. But it's taking him long this year because the angel had something to say to him. And now he comes out and he can't speak the way he was when he was going in. The Bible says when he came out, he could, verse 22, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. Now, he couldn't just not speak to the multitude. He also couldn't speak to his wife. You know what you need in, if you're going to have a child? You need cooperation between a man and a woman, a male and a female, a marriage. A man and a woman. The world's fighting all that stuff today. I want to tell you something. Still makes a family a man and a woman. Two people that can procreate. So he comes home and he can't talk. How in the world is he supposed to have a baby? Maybe he wrote her a love note. Maybe he bought her a flower. I don't really know how it all happened. But you got two old people and God charged them with having a son. Something has to happen. And this is why what takes place, the Bible says in verse 23, and it came to pass as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. The Bible says, and after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. Now, how did she know she conceived? Well, certain things happen when a woman conceives a child and she understands that there's something that's now growing inside of her. And the Bible says after that, she hid herself. <laughs> now, why in the woman would a pregnant woman hide herself? Think about it, they were older couple. <laughs> uh, they were past childbearing years. And now she's walking around and her belly's growing and she hides herself, the Bible says, for five months. You think about it, ladies. Why would you stay in the house for five months if you were expecting a baby in your old age? It would be like Carol Ann coming into church pregnant. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to church for five months. <laughs> I ain't going out of my house. And this is what she said, the Bible says, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Well, now that angel, he's awful busy at this time. The Bible says the angel Gabriel, he goes on down to Mary's place. The Bible calls her in the King James Bible, in verse number 27, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, if you're carrying a different Bible today, and your Bible says in verse 27 that it's a young woman, there's a big difference between a virgin and a young woman. And there's a reason that those words were changed in some of the modern translations. It's because people had a problem with the deity of Christ, and they didn't like that. So they don't want people believing that Jesus was born of a virgin. But if you believe in the Jesus of the Bible, he was born of a virgin. And I believe the words of the Bible. I accept it. The Bible says that the, the angel came to her, to a virgin, who she was espoused to get married, but they had not yet come together. Matthew makes it very clear that while they were espoused, before they came together is when the angel made this announcement to her. And so he says in verse 28, and the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord's with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Notice, fear not. Same thing he said to Zacharias, Fear not. Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. 
Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And I'd just like to say this today, when I receive Christ, I receive that kingdom. I'm a part of that kingdom. Thank the Lord. Kingdom of God's within you, the Bible says. The Bible says that Mary, she had some questions too. You know, there's not too much difference in the way Zacharias responded to Gabriel and the way Mary uh, uh, responded to Gabriel. She said, how is this going to happen? In the Texas lingo. You know, if you're how is this going to happen? How should this be? Seeing I know not a man. She said, I've never been with anybody. I've not married yet. How am I going to be with child? I've never been with a man. By the way, there was only one virgin birth. Anybody else who's claiming it is claiming something that isn't true. Common sense would tell you otherwise, but Mary, it was true. She was with child, and she'd never been with the man. And the angel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, this was a secret that the angel's talking to her about. This wasn't broadly, this wasn't widely known. Elizabeth's still hiding herself in a house. She's not writing letters to all her family. She said, Behold. Thy cousin, thy older cousin, Elizabeth, she's also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary says, Be it unto me. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So the angel leaves, and guess what Mary does? She leaves too. Now the question is, why didn't the angel strike her and tell her that she would be dumb until the things were accomplished? Why didn't he treat her the way that he treated Zacharias? Because there ain't no woman on the face of the planet with this kind of, uh, this kind of good news taking place that could have kept her mouth shut. The spirit flies. Hurry up and get done with this service. I can't wait to get out of here. No, you know what happens. Mary gets up. She's so excited for what the angel says to her. And the Bible says Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. She gets down to her cousin's house who is also pregnant. Now you've got these two women together. Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall in that house? The Bible tells you what takes place. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And so she starts crying out with a loud voice. God filled this woman up. He filled the baby up that was inside of her. The Bible calls children that are within the womb a babe. I have a daughter who's expecting my first grandchild. She plans on naming this little baby Walter. First name that comes to my mind when I hear Walter is, what about yours? Cronkite. Who's playing? But I call him Wally. I want to tell you something. Last week when my daughter was here and I got my mouth right down next to her belly and was feeling her belly. She's my daughter. I'm allowed to do that. Without her, without me, she wouldn't be here. You know, a little cooperation had to take place there. And I started talking to him said, baby Wally, it's your grandpa. So I want to talk to you about Jesus. You know that little kid start kicking on the side of her womb? That little kid can hear inside of there. He's an active little child. He start kicking, moving. I don't know if he's dancing, 
But he heard my voice and he started moving. I want to tell you something. John the Baptist heard Mary's voice and he said, Whoa! Whoa! She's going to carry the Son of God. The Bible talks about a lot of things going on in this passage in the Bible. I just want to hear, I'm here to tell you today, and I'm not going to go on and preach very long this morning, but these two boys would change the world. It's going to be about 30 years before John the Baptist got started. He got started about six months before Jesus was on the scene. And when John the Baptist came, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 1, in those days came John the Baptist preaching. That's what he did. He preached. How did he prepare a people made ready for the Lord? He preached. How do I, as a pastor, prepare people that are made ready for the Lord? I preach. You say, what is preaching? It's cry aloud. It's sparing not. It's showing God's people their transgressions and their sins and saying, turn from your sin. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on Jesus Christ. God prepares your heart for salvation through preaching. Just as he prepared these people's hearts for Jesus Christ through John the Baptist and his preaching. You know, here's here's how God speaks to you. He'll speak to you through this word. And I just want to say this, if any religious person ever tells you not to believe the words of this book, they are a false prophet, they are someone who's telling you to do something wrong, God draws people through His Word. And He draws people through preaching. As a matter of fact, if I preach anything that's not found in this Bible, it will come to naught. Let God be true and all men a liar. I could preach something that's not true, but not if I'm preaching this book, because this Word is truth. God's Word is truth. God sends preachers to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I'd say this repentance is produced by preaching. People feel sorry for their sins and they they don't want their lives without Christ. The true attitude of repentance is this. I don't want my life without Christ anymore. You say, do you have to repent of all your sin in order to get saved? Of course not. You don't even know all the sins that you have. And that's not the scriptural definition of repentance. It's basically seeing your sin for what it is and saying, I don't want this anymore. I'm turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want Christ in my life. And here's, here's the thing. God's willing to save you. Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Amen. Has God ever spoken to you about this issue of getting saved? Sometimes God will put you into contact with a preacher. And that preacher's preaching about the Lord, but it's God who's working in your heart. God brought a pastor from western Kentucky my way. He preached to me when I was about four or five years old. I didn't get saved till I was about 12 years old, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. I was ready to get saved that day. That preaching had my heart. I just couldn't wait to go down there to that altar and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And the Lord did something wonderful for me that day. He saved my never-dying soul. He forgave me of my sin. Have you ever been born again like that? You ever heard preaching and say, you know what, I'm missing something, I'm lost, I've I've never been saved. If you've never been saved by the grace of God, you need to get saved before it's eternally too late. Jesus died so that you might be saved. If you're lost, why are you lost? Jesus paid it all. He paid everything on Calvary's cross. That little baby that was born in Bethlehem, he was born there and the shepherds came and they sang and they worshipped him. Maybe in the weeks to come we'll find out when those wise men came from a country far and found Jesus in a house and brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That didn't happen in Bethlehem. It happened somewhere where Jesus was in the house. You can just read the story in Luke and just follow along. It'll take you through the whole story. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus was worshipped in the days of his birth, but he was born to die on Calvary. And he did that. By the way, John the Baptist, these two boys that changed the world, they both died a violent death. John the Baptist himself was beheaded because he told a king who had taken his brother's wife and was living in open adultery, he said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And when he asked his wife, what can I do for you? Because he liked the way she danced so much. 
You read the story in the scripture. He said, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. I'll make you the richest woman that's on the face of the planet. She said, I want one thing. I want the head of that Baptist preacher on a platter. And he sent an executioner down there. These two boys who changed the world, these two young men who were born, that changed the world, they both met a death that was violent, but only one of their deaths meant anything to us. Jesus Christ's blood was, his blood was shed so that we might be saved. Jesus loved you, friend. Have you ever been saved? Have you ever believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Man, if you're sitting here today, are you living a life that's pleasing to the Lord as was Zacharias? Have you, are, are you like the people that John the Baptist preached to whose dads were kind of floating through life and they're not living the way they're supposed to? And when John the Baptist came on the scene preaching, they started saying, oh man, I'm not where I need to be spiritually. I need to get right. I need to turn from the way I've been living and I need to live for the Lord. I, I need to get my family in order. How, how about it, sir? So by the time you came back to the Lord, women, are you allowing the, the Lord to work in your life? These folks that did all these things, whether it be Mary or whether it be Elizabeth, they had to allow God to work in their life. Are you allowing God to work in your life? If your husband chose to stand up and say, hey, I'm going to live for God, would you be like, well, I don't want you to get that serious. Come on, ladies, are you willing that God might be able to work in your life? Are you, are you willing to be as Elizabeth, walking in the ordinances, blameless? Are you, are you trying to live for the Lord? Are you giving God your very best? Are you keeping God front and center? Are you obeying the first commandment, which is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength? There could be somebody here today and you've never been saved. I want to tell you, as a messenger from God, as a preacher of the gospel, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to die without Jesus. He wants you to die saved and wants you knowing that you're saved. And if you're, if you're lost today, I'm going to invite you during this invitation time to come. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As we prepare for this verse of invitation, maybe God's spoken to your heart this morning. There could be somebody here today and you say, Pastor, I never heard preaching like that or... I've never heard the message of Jesus. It took me hundreds and hundreds of times before I heard the gospel to the point where it made such a difference in my life to where I came down and trusted Christ. But sometimes when people hear the message for the very first time, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Philippian jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the preacher said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Say, is it hard to get saved, Pastor? Oh, no. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. If God's spoken to your heart today, and you need to be saved, or if you're a man in church today, you say, You know what, I'm going to get some things right in my family. I'm going to make some commitments to God this year. Whatever God is working in your life about, man or woman, boy or girl, as Brother John sings this first verse and as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I ask you to take these moments to come, come to the altar. Won't you come today? If God spoke to you, won't you come?
page number 505. We'll all sing on verse number two. And if God's spoken to your hearts, you come.
Amen. How many are thankful for everything that you heard and saw today? Well, if you're not, I am available to speak to you. You know, maybe you heard something today you've never heard before and you want to get counseling or you want to meet with me privately. Trust me, I have time for people. I am a pastor and I love people. And uh, I don't ever want people thinking, you know what, I'll be a burden to the pastor if I ask him to visit with me. You will not be a burden to me. That is what I do. This is, this is what God created me for. And so we're there for you. If you need any kind of help or assistance, please let me know. And uh, I'll be at the back standing here. But before we get there, if you joined the church today, Brother Sestardi, Brother and Ms. Zimmerman, and my children, those who are still here in the church, I want you to come on down here to the very front in front of the Lord's Supper table. Turn around and face your new congregation, and you are not dismissed until you come by and shake hands and extend the right hand to Christian fellowship to the new church members at the Metropolitan Baptist Church. How many of you are thankful for that? Amen. Amen. I'm going to call on Brother John Davison to come to the pulpit, and he is going to dismiss the service in prayer. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your blessings, Lord. We thank you for the wonderful service, the singing, the people joining today, the baptism. Lord, everything that was so wonderful today. Lord, thank you so much for your word being preached, for our pastor and the blessing that he is and his family. Lord, we just uh, give you all glory and praise for everything you've done for us, Lord. Lord, please uh, bless the remainder of the day, the things we have going on, and the services tonight. Bring us safely back to hear what you would have us to hear from your word. Lord, we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.